Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get from Canada Ryan and Jason. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Worst of the Best podcast. I am your host, and with me for part two of this REM Monster album review discussion is my brother, Jason. How are you doing? Uh, doing well, Brian. Uh, happy to have you back here on Canadian soil, where we can be a little closer in time zones. Still a distance, but better than what we were before. <laughs> yeah. I was 10 hours ahead of you, or 11 hours? 11 hours. I was 11 hours ahead of you, so it made for our recording times a little bit tricky, but it's a little bit easier now. I'm only three hours ahead. And I was still late. <laughs> <That's time>. okay. <laughs> All good. I'm off for a little bit, so I'm pretty flexible with timings right now. But uh, not only that, Jason, we want to say thank you to everyone who's been patient, waiting for part two. There are a few. I think there's a few people that listened to part one and enjoyed it. And there's a bit of a break between the two recordings because, like I said, I flew out of Qatar. I was there for three months. And the day that we were going to record, I had too much to do in Qatar to get ready to go home. And then when I got home, the day that we were going to record, Jason came down with bronchitis. And ain't nobody yeah. got time for that. So No, it would uh, be more coughing than it would have been talking. So uh, still has a little bit of a linger tickle. And I'll try and do my best to mute if I need to cough. Make Ryan's editing easier for him. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, so that is the, the reason for the delay. So here we go. We're back on track. This is part two. We don't have to regurgitate a lot of the stuff we did at the beginning of part one. Part two probably won't be as long of an episode as part one because in part one, we, of course, we talked about our fandom, how we got into REM, things we enjoyed about them, the concerts, the tours we went to. So if you happen to be listening to part two for whatever reason, I didn't listen to part one, I'd recommend going back, listen to part one, and you get to hear of myself and Jason's journey of REM, what they mean to us as a band, and what this album means to us. But before we get into, though, the second side of the album, I do want to talk a little bit about the cover work or the artwork of the album. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. I'm so, curious myself. I haven't looked into it, but I've always <laughs> been wondering, what is What is it? What would you say that animal is on the cover there? Some type of jungle cat. <laughs> it, it's it's hard to make out, but once I tell you, like, oh, I see it now. Jay, the cover of the album shows a blurry drawing of a bear's head on an orange background. Okay. So right. Michael Stipe came up with the idea when he showed the cover artist a balloon he wanted to use and told them to experiment with it. So the artist changed the balloon's color, took a few unfocused photos, which turned out to be the ones they liked the most, the band. The CD case also has an orange tray inside. I don't know if you remember that. The old CD case was orange mm -hmm. inside as well. Yeah. The back cover, if you remember, has the bear's body with the track listing. And the inside has pictures of a cartoon character named Migraine Boy. You remember Migraine Boy? No, I don't. I think if you were to Google what he looks like, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he was in the inside artwork. Stipe discovered Migraine Boy in a magazine called Flagpole and thanked them for introducing him to the character. The booklet in the CD has different names and working titles of the songs from the album. The band has a process of naming albums where they jot down random ideas on a big sheet of paper in the studio. And of course, the deluxe CD edition included a hardcover book with photos and artwork, including My Green Boy, and it also had a unique design on the disc itself. There you go. So that's a little bit of the artwork. So it's a bear. <laughs> it's a bear. Okay. 
it's interesting that it is an animal such as a bear, which is in of itself a kind of monstrosis. Is that a word? A monstrosis, a monster of an animal, like a bear. If you were to sure pick an animal that could be considered a monster, it'd be yeah. a bear. Yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah, the first song on side two is the song tongue now this song has a completely as we know a completely different sound and styling of the previous songs it slows things kind of right down but you can see i'm gonna say this about part part two or side two of the album it, it does seem a little bit weaker a little bit weaker than side one which isn't uncommon for albums even back then as you know or as late of as the 90s it's not really an issue so much now as it used to be but maybe still there's a reason why things are called side b or the b side there's a reason why that term exists b side because it could be songs that are a little bit more experimental didn't quite fit the album and that's why a lot of opening tracks like what's the frequency kenneth are the opening tracks you know side one the first time the needle drops in the album is what you're going to hear so it's kind of common that the side b can maybe be a little bit weaker dot 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 side two has three killer songs that are stronger than some of the songs in part or side one so i want to keep that in mind so there's a juxtaposition in the side two tongue is a little bit of that song where it doesn't seem as strong as the previous side but there's three songs on this which we'll get into that i definitely think are bangers compared to side one even i 100 percent agree that this is definitely a side b it's funny because CDs, you you never flipped a side, right? So right. you went from tape to CD, and then all of a sudden the side B, even though they would list it as a side B, because there's still the in-between tape and CD being sold at the same time. So there's always a side B. I hadn't really recalled until revisiting this album in total that the side B is different than the side A. Mm-hmm. And there is a different feel to it. I agree with what you're saying. There's a definitely a different feeling to it, and it is toned down. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was like, oh, am I going to sound like a Debbie Downer if I say side B feels a little less impactful? Not that it is in you know like a complete departure, but there's definitely a different feeling to it. There's a tone shift, and there's definitely a rhythmic shift inside, too. Not all the songs. Like I said, there's three in particular that I think are just bangers. Just a general sense. like right. you, you can tell that this is a side B in the side A, B era of music. What did Michael, if anything, what did he say about the song Tongue before we play a little bit of that? Going back to that interview, they, Mike, was on the, Mike Mills was on the piano. It's funny. They couldn't remember who did the backing vocals. Hmm. They kind of wanted to go with a, a Prince and Booker T vibe to the vocals. They also talked about how the lyrics were the harshest lyrics on the album. It was like a more of a raw, brutal approach to their lyrics. And it was a female's perspective. And he said this is the very first time he's ever written from a female perspective as they would reflect on a relationship. And it's the first time he's ever written lyrics with a female reflecting on a really like a, in a female perspective well that would explain the high vocal yes steve Bailin from cashbox back in the day he really liked this song tongue calling it the pick of the week he pointed out that the band toned down the energy compared to their earlier songs and he thought that michael stipes singing in high sweet voice against a simple organ background was impressive he also believed the song had a promising future especially since rem was doing well on their tour and the previous song, Everybody Hurts, was a hit. 
this individual of the uh, cash box, I think that's a magazine or radio station felt that this was in the vein of like everybody hurts type. Interesting. I think it's, it's a little bit more than that. Chuck Campbell from Knoxville news described tongue as a romantic song with organs in the background. But on the other hand, Andrew Mueller from Melody Maker didn't like it much, saying it was the weakest song on the album. Oh, so this is his worst pick. Oh, here we go. Uh-huh. Andrew Mueller, his worst pick is Tongue, uh, saying it was the weakest song on the album and compared it to Prince trying to sing a Tom Waits ballad. Ooh. So it's interesting because they they specifically used Prince as a as a reference in singing the song, and that guy picked it up. Picked it up. Interesting. Good job for Andrew, but he didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't like it. Maybe he's not a fan of Prince. He might not be. Keith Cameron from NME found it a bit strange with Stipe using the high voice like Smokey Robinson. Another NME editor, Andy mm. Richardson, thought the song was skillful and sad. Paul Evans from Rolling Stone really liked Stipe's high singing in tongue, considering it a standout moment. Lastly, Howard Hampton from Spin Magazine thought the song was even better than the emotional one before it describing it as a subtle, beautiful, and a bit more restrained. Now, of course, the song before this one was Strange Currencies, and that's a hard disagree from Ryan. Sorry, Rolling Stone dude. <laughs> Strange Currency is Heads and Tails a better song than Tongue. However, Tongue, it is a different sound. It's a different song. I didn't like it a lot at first when it first came out. I admit it was a weaker song for me. However, over the years, I have grown to appreciate it more. And especially now hearing from you, Jay, I didn't even consider it was written from female perspective. And thus, the female high vocal, let's be honest, most females have a higher voice than men, that the vocal that Stipe is doing here, that makes sense if he's singing in a higher voice. He's probably singing in a female voice. Even though I didn't know he was singing this from a female perspective before this, why sing every song exactly the same? Yeah, it's an interesting challenge for him. Did he sing this on your concert? You have that set list in front of you? Oh, I don't. I'll have to look for that set list. So, Jay, according to the set list here, they played Tongue. It was the 11th song they played on your at your concert. Boy, they played 25 oh. songs. Wow. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Holy smokes. That was, What a show. What a show. Good for you. Cool.
So I really love that high vocal. It's it's impressive, really, to hear that high vocal and to hear Michael challenge his own vocal range with that. Yeah, we don't hear that very often from him. It's not his first time. I don't think it's his last time, but it's not often he does that high range. Right. It's I thought it was a good departure, and it fits the song. Did they say what the song was about? I can't remember if I asked you that, and if they said it was about, per se, more than just... Just a, a female reflecting on her relationship. Okay. This is what I got from it. I said here that the song highlights feelings of discomfort and frustration with superficial expectations. Overall, it's about wanting authenticity and not wanting to be judged or changed by society's standards. To me, I'm just looking at reviewing the lyrics right in front of me, and it just feels like a person who doesn't feel appreciated within the relationship. Okay. And gets just get like kind of attitudes rather than uh, a depth. The character feels pressured by what society expects, especially about looks and relationships, and they want to break free from those pressures and be left alone. All right. Uh, next song, Jay, uh, like we said, tongue slows it down just a little bit. You flip over the vinyl. Tongue is like, whoa, what do we have here? But the band's like, okay, okay, don't everyone don't run away. Keep playing side two. Keep playing side two. You know, we've got our next single from the album. We should also say Tongue was a single, by the way, for the album, which I kind oh. of find surprising. I do too. Yeah, like I, it's Brave. It was their last single from the album, their fifth and last one. However, still, I find it a brave choice just to release it as a single because there's other songs they could have easily done from even side two that I would have released as a single. But I get it. So they went Strange Currencies was their fourth single. Then they went Tongue as their last. But this next song that we're about to play on side two, song two, was their second single from Monster. And that's Bang and Blame. Michael, the gang, have to say about this one. Yeah, so they wanted to introduce some swagger into the album. That's a good word for that, um, swagger. Yeah, and they and they, and they kind of wanted to infuse some... Uh, David Bowie was a okay. big influence, and T-Rex, sort of this glab rock vibe. Okay. They wanted a calm and then chaos between like the verses and the chorus. So they kind of wanted this push-pull in it which i think they did they, they say it's coming to grips with insane popularity like michael stipe said like he couldn't go anywhere coming to grips with like the insane popularity of the band this is also like the album where he basically clean shaved his head yes yeah and he yeah. had to come to grips with hey you know like yeah at 30 whatever i'm basically <laughs> bald, bald. Yeah, like sure. in the spotlight of sure. you know being a rock star hey he didn't wear um, the toupee or get plugs he owned it good for him you know, I'm yeah, and shaved his head. Yeah, and also he said, along with not only was I coming, coming out as I'm bald, but also coming out as 
I don't know. Is he gay or I thought Did he was talk about this? Did we actually talk about this? We, we, we kind of referenced it in the first one. He is, I guess, I don't know what the term, I don't know if that means. Pan, I think it's pansexual. I think it's, I don't think he's oh. that term back when he described this. I don't think there was a term back then. He just says he loves who he loves. Now he's been with a man for the past 20 okay. odd years. Like he's had a same partner, but he's been with people like Natalie Merchant and stuff. So you could say he's bi or he's been with men for the majority of his love life at this point. But he says he just loves who he loves. He doesn't worry about gender essentially. But didn't you have a relationship with Courtney Love? I don't know about that. I knew Natalie Merchant. Okay. I thought that there was a kind of a really tumultuous whatever maybe it would obviously be after kurt cobain's time but yeah we'll yeah. talk about that a little bit later of course because there's a story for that but the two rem songs courtney love thinks are about her okay that's one thing that came up yeah following cobain's death michael stipe and courtney love remained friends in an interview with uncut in 2010 love claimed the stipe had written two songs about her although rem has never confirmed this Mm, she says, I know country feedback and crush with eyeliner about me. She said, I think his friendship with Kurt and then their remained friends. I don't see anywhere in my quick research here that okay. they were lovers. Okay. So she's interjecting herself in his songs is a little bit. What I'm, yeah, probably because he was friends with Kurt and obviously crushed by his death. He, so he was coming to grips with his sexuality publicly. Yeah. Yep. It was becoming public. His change in looks. Yeah. And just how that was like really under the spotlight. Well, part of the rumors of him being gay too, because he's so thin and people thought he had AIDS. There was a rumor going around that he oh. was HIV positive, which he's never been HIV positive. He's, he talked about that as well, where he's like, dude, I'm, I'm just skinny. <laughs> I'm just skinny. And I've lost my hair. I'm not sick. I'm just skinny and bald. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, it was a big the HIV sure. TV shows and it was a big thing, big discussion point back then. And yeah, so he has been with his partner. I forget his name for like tw- a long time to the point where they're basically common law marriage. But I don't think he's ever come out and said, I am gay. He's just said, hey, I love who I love. type thing. But for all intents and purposes, yes, of course, he's with a man now. So do what you want with that math. <laughs> yeah, I love the song. It's a good song. Bang and Blame is a good song. It's a nice little bit. Of, oh, pick me up from Tongue. Tongue is a little bit jarring compared to the other songs on side one. This gets you back that swagger, like that term swagger. I got for lyrics on this. I I didn't see him trying to escape his fandom. I'm just reading the lyrics as they are. I just thought he was just trying to shift the blame, not taking his own responsibility, the character. Think of it as as we've talked about, Ryan. Uh, the second verse. If you could see yourself now, baby, the tables have turned. The whole world hinges on your swings, your secret life of indiscreet discretions. I turn the screw and leave the screen. Don't point your finger. You know that's not my thing. So even like the idea of the secret life of indiscreet discretions, maybe the idea of his sexuality back then coming out or coming to grips with it. Oh, yeah. that's uh, I like that. Yeah. I probably just read that too literally, not understanding more about what you're saying about this celebrity part of it. Character that Michael's singing about feels unfairly targeted by someone who's trying to shift the blame. Yeah. Even the last, you kiss on me, tug on me, rub on me, jump on me, you bang on me, beat on me, hit on me, let go on me.
just part of the comic book. The way it outros like that and that the ooh sounds in the background with the baseline playing it's probably the best part of the song quite frankly is that ending and the part you just read there i like this song i kind of wish they didn't do the verse the way that they did i would almost prefer this whole song that very low the way that they sang the verses i feel like i connect so i love the outro and the, I, I agree with what everything you're saying there about that subtle the play on words there the done on me blank blah, blah, on me that on me i love that and then the one part where it does pick up is kind of a cool little transition of the guitar and drums. I just love that it comes out of nowhere. It's not even halfway yes. through the song. It just yeah, and that still could have happened without the verses. Yes, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I just want to talk about the singers in the background. Yeah, please. So it's subtle, but there's that female voice most specifically. It's no? his sister. Oh, sorry, I stepped on you there. It's his sister. Okay, it's his sister uh, Linda, and then there's three others singing and it didn't really matter who those other three you know they're just three other singers that happen to be visiting so they happen to be just be there while they're recording visiting okay and they invited them to participate in the recording of that song so it's kind of very organic it didn't wasn't a structured experience per se but uh well it's rain 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 phoenix was one of them that's the younger sister to uh joaquin and river oh she was there as well so it was linda Rain. Now we'll get into River Phoenix in a second here. Uh, so River's sister was there singing in the background. Quite frankly, I wonder if she came in to sing after the passing of River because River passed away during the making of this album. Did he not pass away during the making of this album? River Phoenix. Was, yeah, River. So he passed away October 93. So it was before the album was okay. So the album was like they were making it. But there's some rumors from my online study of this album. There are rumors that River, maybe River Michael might have had a relationship on the down low. And it was never public because oh. the River's obviously perceived, you know, celebrity and, you know, straight male actor. He would have been quite young too, wouldn't he have been? He was 23 when he passed away. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been yeah, eight years. He would have been. No, that's just rumors, speculation. Let yeah. us know in comments or emails, but that is the rumor. I've never... They were friends. They were close, close enough, again, that Rain came into the uh, studio to sing background vocals of the song. There's the relationship, the Phoenix relationship between Michael and Rain Phoenix. Interesting, yeah. So this song was also played at my show. It was uh, yeah. number 23 or 25, so it was in the encore set. That's awesome. It's a great song. I, personally, I would have preferred to the verse, uh, the chorus is done a little bit differently. I think the rest, the way the rest of the song is is recorded is awesome. You feel like you just kind of want to sway to it. No, I agree. The swagger. Yeah. I like that word swagger. Yeah. The next three songs, I'm just going to say right now, the next three were the three I was talking about. I Took Your Name, Let Me In, Circus Envy. We'll talk about each one, but Let Me In kicks off that three in a row where, boy, they could have easily been, in my opinion, these three next three songs could have easily been on side A. Like They could have easily just been on side A, take away three of the other songs on side A, put them on side B where these three are, and I would have said the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, these mm-hmm. are side A songs. If you want to talk about side A, these songs could easily have been on side A with the other songs at some point. The first one, of course, is I Took Your Name. I 
I love that. Everything about the bass line, Mike's bass line, Peter's uh, guitar work. It's just we're right back to the, the monster sound. This song is all monster. Yeah, I agree. They took an old, you know, those old RCA mics. They envision Elvis Presley singing in those old metal. So they actually recorded on one of those. Okay. Kind of give it more of a roughness to the vocals. There is a an Iggy Pop reference in the song. Near the end of the song, it says, I'll be Albatross, Devil Dog, Jesus God. I don't want to be Iggy Pop, but if that's what it takes, hey. Again, I love the high vocal background that you have that high behind Michael. I think it might be his vocal behind his own vocal singing high. He doesn't talk anything about backing vocals on this. Watch the live version of this performance is amazing because he during this part, he kind of yells it. He yells this end part. Mm, I don't yeah. Like he, okay. Yeah. The idea of the song actually is about taking on the persona of other people. Okay. And then not wanting to. Lyrically, if we, you go read the, through the lyrics, you can kind of see, he goes like, I don't want to be Iggy Pop, but if that's what it takes. You know, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to take the persona of other people. If there is some confusion, you know, like when there's incongruity with people, are you that or are you this? Mm. When people take on the persona of others but you don't really believe it. But going back to Iggy Pop, though, this is an interesting story. I can't remember when they they had met him. It was at some type of concert festival or something like this. And then after that, every time they would meet him or bump into him, you know, different events or whatever, he gravitated towards Mike Mills and would, like, walk right past Michael Stipe. And completely Iggy Pop. Oh, really? Okay. And they and they were like going like we have no idea. He completely ignores Michael Stipe and would for whatever reason gravitated towards Mike Mills as if Michael Stipe's like, Am I in the room? Not that he's like expecting like to be yeah. worshipped or anything, but it, oh. there was always like, huh, wonder why there's this weird completely ignore Michael, but would have a great time and awesome conversations with Mike Mills every time they would meet up with him. It didn't sound like he hold, held anything against Iggy Pop for that, but he just right. And Mike Mills like, I have no idea. I have no idea why. Like, I literally have no idea why he felt this way about me or would right connect with me, but he did. So that's what they're saying. Hey, we noticed this about Iggy. They're not bothered. Yeah, by yes, it. yeah. He's, he didn't seem bothered by it, but he's just like it was pretty yeah. obvious. Just to put a button or a pin or yeah, buttons close up. So River Phoenix, yes, did die before this. The album itself was dedicated to River Phoenix. 
Wow. Yeah. Was it dedicated to anybody else? No. The song Let Me In was written huh. was written for Kurt, but the album itself yes. was dedicated to Phoenix. That's why I was wondering because I knew that, that was this was coming up. So the fact yeah. that the album was dedicated to River. Yes. Oh, okay. But the song was written for Kurt, uh, Let Me In. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Let Me In is the next song, track four, side two. This song I've always loved. This song is bonkers, crazy. There's something about this song. It almost is noisy, but it's chaos refined. It's noisy, but it's a song that makes sense to me. Anyways, it speaks to me. I don't know what it is about the way that guitar sounds and the way it will sound later in the song as it overlaps. Like it has this weird overlapping effect that loops on itself. But I just love Peter Buck's guitaring and the way this guitar sounds. Now, speaking of the guitar, he's playing Kurt's guitar. I did not know that. So the song Let Me In was dedicated, of course, to Kurt. He and Michael had a close relationship and friendship, which I find bonkers. I, I Don't you kind of find that weird of all the friendships, Michael and Kurt? Yeah. But this is what Kurt had to say about the album Automatic for the People. Remember we talked about this? I think we talked about this, that Kurt wanted to do a different album later in their career as a band, and R.E.M. was a big push for them to change their sound a little bit. He said this, I know we, the band, we're going to put out one more record at least, and I have a pretty good idea what it's going to sound like. Pretty ethereal, acoustic, like R.E.M.'s last album, Automatic for the People. If I could write just a couple of songs as good as what they've written, I don't know how that band does what they do. God, they're the greatest. They've dealt with their success like saints, and they keep delivering great music. Hmm. So on the recording, Mills, he used the guitar, the Blonde Kurt Cobain, which was a Fender Jaguar. Courtney Love gave it to Mills to use. And as, of course, as you know, Kurt Cobain was left-handed. Mills is right-handed. So he had to play the guitar backwards. <laughs> and at the same time, he changed the position of the strings. So he didn't even try to play it left-handed. He just literally played it right-handed, left-handed guitar, and flipped the strings around so he could play it. Right. That guitar that you're hearing is Kurt's guitar on this studio track, which I think is pretty cool. So Michael wrote the lyrics in five minutes, wow. and they recorded the song just as quickly. That's what I mean. It's like this controlled chaos. It just screams heart. It screams. It, it is a plea to Kurt, like a last-minute desperate phone call. Okay. I love it. Did you know, though, when the album came out that this was a song for Kurt, or this was? Not then. I, I don't think so no. then. If I did, I'd no, forgot over the years. But I've known for a while now, like before we did the research for this right. album. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But when it originally came out, I had no idea. I don't know when that knowledge came to me, but definitely I've known within the last maybe 15, 20 years at this point, but 10 years for sure I've known. Yeah, the guitar sound is is phenomenal. Yeah, I love it. I just love it. It really, it really is. 
There's the part, of course, it's after the second verse, the guitar just amps up itself. It's I don't know if he's playing a track over another track, Jay, or if he's able to play the sound he's able to play on one guitar. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm just gonna go back again and listen. I just love that the way it just and then you hear very subtly Bill Berry's hitting the top hat or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The whole outro of the song is amazing. This whole song is amazing. I give this, this is probably top five REM song for me. Just, oh, really? Yeah. It's just, yeah. I've, I just always have loved this song so much. Um, but you hear a little bit of that, just that, I think it is, Jay. I think it is one guitar that we're hearing, but he's doing that kind of like up and down effect that you can do where the sound will overlay itself. Well, yeah. I mean, there's probably a chorus pedal. You can have a lot of effects on a, on a guitar that yeah. can just, Kind of get that layered feeling. I just love that when he goes into that high vocal and the organ. It's just, man, such a great composition. I can't believe they just half an hour, maybe they finished everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very raw, obviously. That line that we heard that we just heard there was, I had a mind to try to stop you. Let me in. Let me in. Well, I got tar on my feet and I can't see all the birds look down and laugh at me. Clumsy crawling out of my skin. Like, it's just a crazy lyrics. Uh, and then the whole outro of the song, because now you just have the guitar and that organ. I just, it's such a beautiful, sad outro. So yeah, this song won't be my worst pick. <laughs> so this Spoiler. song was also played uh, at my show. Yeah, it was. I saw that. I think it's the first song uh, in the encore. Oh, nice boy. What a show you went to, Jay. What a show. I'm like looking at this. I'm like, I want to revisit. I hope somebody... I wonder. wonder if there's like a bootleg of this show. Yeah, good call. You had some great songs on this. They had uh, that, Fall On Me. I love that song. Uh, they played... Uh, finest work song they play money got a rod deal which i love from automatic basically uh, automatic for the people along with uh, monster tour combo yeah. so all right any last thoughts on that song jay before we move on to the next one no now circus mvj is uh, the fifth song on side two second last song on the album we're still sticking with my top three songs on the side and like i said these songs could be anywhere on side one as well circus envy here we go I just want to stop and I'll go back again. But you hear that ding. I would have loved to have seen Peter Buck's time in the studio because he did a 
an effect on his guitar and he carries this sound this no no what is that what's the sound this the bass the very first what thing that they talked about is they oh. put a massive fuzz on the bass and how they they, they says a little goes a long way so oh. it's funny that you're bringing that up so that's a uh, that's a bass that's mills bass doing that yeah yeah that's him yeah okay, the first line the- of my note here Circus Envy, fuzz bass, a little goes a long way. So yeah, there you go. All these years, it I saw his guitar. It worked. Yeah, it worked. You think you. about it, you don't hear much of a bass line, so that kind of makes sense. You hear the other guitar, you know, do do. Yeah, because it, it they add yeah. fuzz to the bass. So yeah, there you go. Love that It's just a freaking fantastic sounding song. I, I just love that song. It, it is. Lyrically, I have no idea what they're talking about. Do they mention what they're talking about? <laughs> no. I don't think they even really talk much about the song itself in and of itself. I think this is a holdover from the from? previous album. Really? Yeah. Oh. If you take away all the fuzz and all that, and just the pacing of the lyrics, okay. and the way that it's sung, it, it feels like an older, uh, an older song. Okay, interesting. I can see that. Sure. Uh, some of the lyrics here are, as per Michael Stipe in this album, they're kind of hard to hear. Here's a sample of the uh, the lyrics here. I've got my telescope head in the haystack. I am jealous of your dodgeball circus act. Put pepper in my coffee. I forgot to bark. Put pepper oh. in my coffee. I forgot to bark on command. Do you smell jealousy? Do you smell jealousy? 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 What I also like about this song is I love it when the band does this. I don't know if we've mentioned this before. I think we have. But I love it when the band names their album after a yeah. song part or something, but it's not a title of the a song track. Yeah, you picked uh, it up as well. Yeah. This is where the album title comes into play. If I were you, I'd really run from me. I'd really, really wish that I were you. When I get loose, I'll climb a tree and drop a load on your head. <laughs> This monster in me makes me wretch. You messed it up, messed it up. I still have a feeling that this is a repurposed 
or even a previously recorded lyrically. If you take a strip it all out in just the way that he phrases his lyrics, it sounds like an older track. Because you know, like he sings his lyrics, they're not always straight across singing. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. I never thought of that. Sure, I could kind of see that. Love this song. It's a great monster song. This is another monster song, which kind of makes the next one tricky. Now we're going to get to the last song of the album. It's called You. Because you hear like, I took your name, let me, even Bang and Blame, I took your name, let me in. Circus Envy. Side 2 is fairly, fairly strong. And then you get to You, and it's like, what in the world is this song? This is a song I used to skip all the time back in the day. Every now and then you'll have a song on an album. We're like, Ugh, I could probably do without. Over the years, though, it's grown on me over the years because it's a very deep song. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lyrics. I don't know what they have to say about the song, Jay, but I should be curious if they mentioned the song in, the, in your interview. Basically, it's obsessive love really? is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Vocally, uh, he says that he was pushing his voice into places he has never gone before. Mm. near the end it sounds like he's actually like running out of breath as he tries to finish the lyric and they and they refer to it as like a, a desert song okay i can kind of see that for sure okay well right there you get that very desert i can see that now you can see yeah, them almost yeah stumbling along in the desert and Almost like this is a song made for the Doors film by uh, Oliver Stone. You can almost see this, the band stumbling during the their desert scene. You can see this like a psychedelic type moment. Just interesting. Going back to that River Phoenix reference, I'm, I'm looking at other people and what they're stating as what possibly this could be about. You know, this obsessive love is what they referred to, but maybe even more hidden in this is that some people say that it is uh, in reference to his relationship with River Phoenix. This is what I got too for the research. I just can't remember what song it was re- referencing. It was this song. Okay. Did I dream you were a tourist in the Arizona sun? So they referenced it was a desert song about kind of like, you know, as the, um, what would you call that? Like the back, the ambiance of the song. Let the sun beat through the clouds. Let me kiss you on the mouth. All my childhood toys with chew marks in my smile. Let me hold your syrup close to mine. And I want you Hollywood and Vine. And I want you like mm. the movies. And I want you like the movies. Touch me now. He was a good looking kid. <laughs> I don't swing that way. But if I, if I did, I mean, River Phoenix was a good looking kid. So, I, yeah, I don't think Michael would ever confirm this. But the rumor is, is they had a relationship. And it was kept on the DL because of Rivers' yeah. uh, Hollywood personality of, as a straight leading man. And he has straight girlfriends and all that stuff. And he did not want to be uh, publicly known as being bisexual or gay is my what I've heard from online. Whether or not that's true, only Michael can tell us at this point.
Yeah, great vocal work by Michael. It's oh, actually yeah. very, very clear, yeah. powerful vocal work. Just when I was a teenager, the song didn't, you know, we're back in the rock and roll days. So all the other songs, like we just mentioned, they're easier for me to kind of really get into. But as it got older and more refined in my musical taste, so to speak, I was able to appreciate the song better than I ever have. So this is a song that grew better with time. And you got to really appreciate the lyrics, the depth. Yeah, it's haunting to me. It's haunting, molasses. But I feel like it's hard—not hard to get through because it's—it's boring. It's just a—it's hard. It's a hard song. It's, it's like a marathon. It, you feel good when you get through it. You're not looking for. I don't look forward to the song, but when I get through mm. it, I feel like, oh, I did it. <laughs> I did it. I got through it. You feel um, victorious in a good way. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's very easy to get into what's the frequency, Kenneth. Like, think of how the album starts. Just You're in. You're going. Here we go. This song, it's an exercise. But exercise is good for you, if that makes sense. I don't know. Can, can we go to the very last verse? I want to hear the way that... Oh, yeah. He breathes it. I, I can hear it now. Yeah. He goes, he goes you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, yeah, let's hear it. And they also mentioned that there's these little birds at the very end. Yeah, I heard that. I, I, I don't yeah, know why this like, <laughs> And they're like, those are our desert birds, is what they kind of oh, like. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. I, I feel like I'm saying negative things about it. I don't mean to be. I'm more speaking to the journey I had originally, but over the years, it's it's a song mm. that's definitely grown on me. You sure can feel the obsessiveness, eh? Yeah, for sure. Here's some of the comments on YouTube, which I think is interesting. It's just to give the song a bit of love. Sure. One of the best tracks on the album. Nobody can write like Stipe. The song is a masterpiece. This is how good the 90s were. These are all different comments for different people. Love this album. This is my favorite song of Monster. This should have been a single. My favorite of the album. I love it. Classic. Brilliant. Please come. Can I go back to the 90s? Yeah, I know. Mm. Uh, lots of love for the song from comments on YouTube on, on, their, on their channel there. And yeah, it is a song that highly intelligent, deserty. To think of a desert itself, Jay, it's not an easy walk. It's not an easy trek. There's some effort that it's required to walk in the heat and the sand. And and often you feel alone. There you go. Last things to say about the uh, the album, Jay, itself here? Or? Well, what's interesting is revisiting the B-side here. Initially, it feels like a weaker side, but dang, it's strong. The vibe, you kind of shift between the two. And it, in comparison, it feels like it's the weaker side, but... There's well, a lot of depth to these songs. Yes. More of a mature process of listening. Yeah, I would say a song like You is a, is, is a very good example of it's not, a, well, it starts with tongue and ends with you. It's bookmarked in of itself by two songs that are not as kitschy or as catchy as the other ones that we've heard. When you understand them, they become better over time. You know, when you hear a song, you're like, naturally like it. Right. And those are your singles. It's those songs that are the slow burn, that yeah. it takes multiple listens, and, and then you start really catching the genius of the song, and it becomes a stronger song. Yes, agreed. In the end. And you would rather listen to those 
than what would be like the catchy, you know, whatever caught you your attention the first time around. All right. So regarding side two, the reason why it's a little bit of a weaker side for me than side one, only just a tad if you were to grade both of them, because it is side two, Jason, that holds <laughs> the worst song of the album. Mm. It's not Tongue. It's not you. So what is it, folks? Well, it's a song that over the years started off decent enough for like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, here we go. Interesting, fun, haha. <laughs> but unlike Tongue and You, those came in weak. Like if I were to do this worst pick, I would have had a hard time maybe picking between Tongue and You in 1994. But in 2024, 30 years later, those two songs have increased their value over time. This song has, well, this song I got tired of probably by 1999, probably 97. This is a song that over time, I got bored of very quickly. Suffers hmm. from singleitis. That's why I was like, "Oh, stop saying what you're saying about the song while we're reviewing it." I can't believe you're going to say the song you're going to say, but go ahead. I know the obviously the song you're going to say, but yeah. And I know this is a bit of a hot take. Maybe, maybe our listeners are like, "Ryan, you're an idiot." That's fine. I love this album. I give this album ten out of ten. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. I will never stop listening to this album. I never skip any tracks from this album. I have to give that precursor just because something is the worst. I don't even skip the song when it comes on. However. Everything that you brought up about this song during our discussion are the things that I feel the same way about, maybe strongly so. It's a song that could have been so much more, but it's marred down by a terrible, terrible chorus. I cannot stand the chorus of the song. I like the swagger. I also like the guitar part that I showed. I say, oh, this, what I have to say, oh, I love this part. It's true. I love that part, but it's like 10 seconds of the whole song. I love the swagger and the bass line. Everything you're saying was exactly how I feel. Oh, okay. So you were scared I was going to... So, so I was like, stop talking about it because you're saying everything. Like, I thought you were going to say this is... No. Everything you were saying about the song as a critique, so to speak, were the reasons why this is my worst pick bang and blame i do not like the chorus at all I, I don't like it i don't like to sing with it i feel like when the chorus kicks in it's supposed to be the highlight of a song is the chorus so to speak it takes away from the song it's very jarring yeah. to hear the swagger that bass line that doom, doom. i love that had they just had that as the song that like you're saying just a groovy swagger song with that guitar part of the middle cool go back to the swagger get rid of the chorus then I might have a different discussion for a different song. I might have to choose between tongue and you. I'm not going to lie. However, bang and blame, it does not excite me. It actually irritates me. That's the problem is it jars me. There's a lot of good in the song, but it's basically a fly in my honey. Speaking of an earlier <laughs> REM song. So it's a fly in my honey, bang and blame. Interesting. I hear what you're saying. Definitely, as I already had mentioned, um, I can completely understand why this would be low on the REM, you know, if you're doing a set list, it would be uh, lower, but this is definitely not my worst pick. Oh boy. Are you picking something from side A? Maybe. Oh, come on. Okay, let me look at side A again. Let's go look at the title tracks. What do we got here? Okay, okay. Uh, okay, I don't even know what I would pick on side A. I can't, no, well, I know it's not I Don't Sleep, I Dream, because you love no. that one. Okay, what's your worst song? And I'm tossing between two, but I got to pick one. Right, just one. But I'm going to pick a King of Comedy. Really? You agree with Michael Stipe, do you? I forgot about that. Yes, I do, actually. (laughs) Okay. You and Michael Stipe are in the same... That is funny. Why? For me, this this doesn't really go anywhere. It's just like a a flat line from kind of beginning to end. It it doesn't... Really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. These are hot takes. I think people might be mad at us, both of us. 
But then again, I don't know what people could pick. This is hard. It, it is hard, and and it's hard in a lot of different ways because you I respect the band. Right. And I respect their craft and I respect what they have done. And to suggest that they fallen short is, is hard to admit to. Well, this but, is the nature um, of our show. We have no choice. Yeah, REM, oh, REM knows. Know. REM knows we have no choice. <laughs> that, that's what our podcast is all about. We have to we have to drop something or else there's no point in doing our podcast. That's the whole point. It's the worst of the best. Thankfully, we don't have to hold ourselves to it, Jason. We can <laughs> we can we can continue to listen to the tracks. But if we had to, gun to our head, lose your life, drop a track from this album. You're choosing King of Comedy, and I'm choosing Bang and Bling. Wow. Let us know, folks, in the comments below, or whether it's uh, on YouTube or, or send us an email. The email's in the show notes. Let us know where we went wrong. We always love to hear that. We haven't got an email in a while. We'd love to hear from any of our listeners. Uh, let us know of a topic, let's say, or something, or band or an album that you want us to do like we've done with this. We've enjoyed doing this. It's it's certainly uh, something that we like to do, and we're going to do again. I've got a couple ideas, Jay, that we could do. Yeah, oh, I thought you were about to say one. I thought you. Were oh no, one. I was going to say it's been fun to revisit the music. And this was an album that I would not have like you picked the album to review. It would not have been one that uh, I would have gravitated towards initially. Oh, okay. But it's been fun to revisit. It's amazing how much great music that there is. Mm-hmm. To revisit this album and to refresh my my memory and feelings of this album has been fun. It's been a nice experience. So, yeah, thanks for bringing this uh, album up. You're very welcome. And remember, in front of every silver lining, there's a cloud. And today for Ryan, it was Bang and Blame. And for Jason, it was a King of Comedy. Camelgator Productions.